0: Well, hey there and welcome to episode number 92 of Groove, the No Treble podcast, which you can always find at notreble.com. My name is Mitch Joel, let's get on with the show. Um. So who are you and what do you do?
1: My name is Miles Mosley. I'm an upright bass player, one of the founders of the West Coast Get Down, a bunch of musicians born out of Los Angeles, California. And I'm known for turning the upright bass up really, really loud. With a lot of effects yeah.
0: and a lot of chaos. Yeah. Which is good. <laughs> absolutely. Which is good. And you know, one of the things I assumed, but then it's very abundant in your bios, you were actually named after Miles Davis. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: I think that might be one of the reasons why Moving to the front of the stage always haunted me, and I was never I was named after one of the greatest images in, in in sounds in the history of jazz and a front man, a, a band leader. So I think I always carried that with me as a bass player. Like I didn't want to just be stuck in the back. I wanted to write my own music and lead a band and execute a vision that was beyond just holding down the low end. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I was always
0: inspired to push forward and do more. And was that your mom and your dad who pushed that down to you?
1: <laughs> that was my mom. My dad was gonna. I would have been named after Yusef Latif. but he stepped okay. out of the room as the paperwork showed up, and my mom went with Miles for Miles Davis.
0: I'm going to assume music fans. <laughs> yeah,
1: huge <laughs> music fans. Definitely, uh, jazz was always on. Every single it was like the when I was introduced to jazz, it was this constant on the weekends. It, it was synonymous with space. The idea of time to think and be with one another and to be contemplative and to process something and take it in. Sunshine. It, it wasn't actually ever associated with the dark club and the swirling smoke. Jazz was always something that was fun and bright and meant that it was time to party and get into it. And so that and soul music. And my parents, my mom's sort of a 60s putting flowers and in, roses in, in, in guns for protest. And
0: so there's like a the lot Kardashians. of Kardashians. Oh, is that what they're doing now?
1: Uh,
0: there no, was, was a, a famous Pepsi commercial where one of them did that and like, it blew up in their face. Like Everyone's like, how could you do that? Oh, wow. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, you know, they're really good at regurgitating famous ideas. But it was definitely a house full of soul music, protest music. And jazz it itself is also some a version of its own protest music.
0: So that was always around, constantly. It just feels when I'm introduced to your music and I hear that that there was this. It feels like a prophecy. It's like a weird thing to me when you see people. I have a friend who actually was one of the founders were here in Montreal, the Montreal Jazz Fest, who was the founder of the Just for Last Comedy Fest, which mm, is another big one. Yeah, fantastic. And he gave his kids really interesting, unique names as that as well. And he became a good friend of mine. And he would always say that I wanted the kids to learn how to grow up and into mm-hmm. and earn that name.
1: Yeah, my first name is Abraham. My middle name is Miles, and my last name is Mosley. Those two front names, they've got a lot of history behind them, and they're definitely inspiring. And when you learn where your name is from, even the name Miles actually sort of stands for soldier. Yeah. So I do think that, at least subconsciously, you do grow up and into your name or find the pressure of it, if you're named after something, somebody in your family that's, in you're a junior. Yeah. That's its own series and sets of pressures. Who you are, it's, your name I think definitely is the very, f- your first sense of self comes from your name because it's how the world around you is, it's your first representative.
0: Yeah, It's also always interesting to me when I speak to musicians because it's always that story of music in the house, Sometimes you're lucky that the the parent was actually a musician. Mm -hmm. And there's something that happens from social, community, and entertainment into a vocation. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? What was that moment for you?
1: For me, I grew up in Los Angeles during an era in which they were experimenting with something called magnet schools. And it's probably an entirely different podcast as to what the magnet system does to communities and all that. Oh, there are, there are downsides to it as well. Quite a few actually. But the upside to it is that you have a lot of kids that are deemed talented, which the, and I'm using the word talent as to mean potential. You have kids with the potential for success in something to be gathered together and and thus inspire each other towards greatness. That was something that was rampant in Los Angeles in the 90s, especially under the Clinton administration, who himself, being a musician, put a, a lot of funds into the arts. And so I was like, I didn't get to music. I, uh, part of me has the, a friend of mine starts a band and needs a bass player. There's a piece of that story in there for sure. Always. But <laughs> but I got to music just through having an option to pick some extracurricular activity. And I actually wanted to draw comic books. I love comic books. We can but talk I'm, about that. I'm a huge collector still. <laughs> oh, man. so, so you We'll know. do that for my comic book podcast. Yeah, <laughs> right. <Just slide> a <laughs> business the one. Yeah, I mean, comic books were a huge influence to me. Image comics. And, okay. And, like McFarlane. Uh, and all yeah. Yeah. I was just talking about that the other day. I mean, like, my first sense of wowed by human form comes from when McFarlane and uh, what's his name takes over, X Men, the other super, super famous Lee? writer, Jimmy yeah, Lee. Lee. Man, it's like, wow, things can, and think pages got glossy. And so I come up in that era and I wanted to learn how to draw as well, but there weren't a lot of kids that had that interest. So <laughs> they canceled that class. <laughs> and I was able to either go to orchestra or art history or something. I didn't want to take a class where I had to do more studying. That wasn't the point. So I ended up in in orchestra, and it was a flute that I picked the upright bass because I didn't know what any of the instruments sounded like. It was a classical situation, so that wasn't really on my radar musically so much. My mom listened to a little bit of classical music, but it wasn't something I was taught. And when they asked what instrument I wanted to play, I didn't know. So the teacher sampled a violin, and a viola, and a cello. And she when she played cello, it was incredible because she was a cello player. She, she and was, by the way,
0: there's a lot of bass players who started off in cello. It's very common, absolutely, like super absolutely. Common.
1: And some of the hero icons of the instrument are also played a lot of cello or started mm-hmm. on it. I think anytime you find somebody that's got a lot of bow work, there's some cello sneaking around yeah. back there. So I wanted to play cello, but I lived really far away from school. This is where the magnet. Program thing kicks in. So there's no way I was going to get a cello from <laughs> Culver City to <laughs> On <Eaglewood. your> back. <laughs> No way. I exactly. had the bus, but it's like, there's kids, no, it, not there's not a like lot of, you getting jumped for jackets, and LA's kind of a bit of a boiling pot at that point. So I was like, oh, I love this instrument, but there's no way I'm going to get it home. And I saw the upright bass in the corner, and I asked, "Where? what's that? She said, oh, that's the upright bass, or that's a double bass. I was like, dang, if you play bass you got to carry that thing home she said, no no if, if you play upright it, you, it stays here i was like that's, that's perfect, perfect for me i'll it's use that. slack <laughs> i'll use that that's good and i played with one note and it shook my little 13 year old frame and as i started to understand that music was heard from the bottom up and major chords can turn to minor chords right. just by what i changed the, the ego trip of that at 13 to 15 really made me settle in with the instrument and i also had intonation and verbato came really naturally to me and speed and dexterity these things that are hurdles for all of us something about just the size of my hands or the strength of them or whatever right. i got that stuff easier and so then i got really good teachers interested in mm. assisting me along in a lot easier of a fashion
0: there's so many ways that, things i want to say one is my first bass told the story before on the show, was my brother's friend, who was a cellist, because his parents were a pianist and a violinist in a local chamber orchestra, mm-hmm. they still do it, and he had bought a, you know, a Fender something rip-off bass, like mm-hmm. Jeep Jeep, and removed the frats Jacko. Nice, of course. I didn't know any of this until okay. I started learning, uh-huh. but he did it one because it was easier because he was used to cello, and also because he had heard Jacko's album, which again, I didn't know anything about. And I mean, still to this day, he's a world class cellist and tours and does all these things. And Mm so it was interesting when I started the show about seven or eight years ago, you have these conversations and you start seeing that here we grew up in a bit of a smaller community in Montreal and it's the same for like cats who are in LA or something. Mm -hmm. It's crazy to see how the bass becomes the thing through other very common, but obscure Mm -hmm. like moments. What I'm really interested in what you said is you didn't make the connection between all the music your parents were playing and this. That's crazy to me.
1: Yeah, you mean as far as being inspired to play the bass because of hearing it?
0: Yeah, or just being like, I'm attracted to bass or the bass tone. And yeah. so that seems like an obvious choice for me, even though I'm trying to slack in this class.
1: Yeah, you know what? That's, that is interesting because... When I would wake up on a Sunday morning, the picture frames on, on my in my bedroom would be rattling from Ray Brown's bass coming through oh, God, from so some good. Oscar Peterson record or whatever, or the sound of all blues and just the low-end frequency of all that soul music. It was obviously that we all know at this point what the anchor of the, that music is harmonically. But it still wasn't what I was... I wasn't drawn to the bass for that reason. And maybe that's why I never approached it Entirely as a anchor instrument. I always thought that it can be something that leads in the entire spectrum of it, that it has all this low end, but you can really get up there into the treble clef and draw lines that go the whole length of the instrument and really approach it from the nut to the bridge. And that's always been my favorite way to express myself on that instrument is just in its entirety.
0: That's another interesting aspect because for me, it's either or you meet players who are like I have a role and that role sits between the drummer and the other band members and then you have the ones who are more believing that the instrument has a lead role or a solo role Mm -hmm. it's really interesting how that plays into how you practice how you create but where did that come from because at 13 or 12 whenever you pick up the bass You are then starting a journey of music. Who are you discovering that is making you feel that I can actually remove this from just being the junction between the drummer and the rest of the band?
1: I definitely think I have an intense love of melody. You
0: Uh, sing, you write songs.
1: Yeah. So chasing melodies and being able to play them and learn them, there's also a lot of guitar flying around the house. There's Jimi Hendrix (laughs) Hendrix and Curtis Mayfield. And so that distorted, like, muscular chaos that's something that is inspiring to me even though I don't start affecting my upright bass until sometime in the middle or end of college but I love melody and I love words and I love expressing the most memorable piece of any puzzle or be that music or uh, poetry or something like that what we use music for is a way to remember stories. That's yes. what it comes from, as far as I'm concerned. It's, that's its utility. It has a lot of other purposes, but its utility is if you want to remember how to get back somewhere, or if you want to remember what, which way these the stars are pointing us, we use songs and we use melodies as a way to remember words. And that's a, and we use rhythm as a way to encapsulate that and get a bunch of people to be on the same page so as a bass player sitting in a band yes I'm translating drum talk to through me into harmony and but all of our favorite bass lines are the ones that are the most melodic for
0: sure do you mean the feeling for sure of yeah, a, I agree
1: a great pocket player. And there's something to be celebrated with the way a drummer locks with a bass player and how that's such a sacred and special relationship right. that you can track like the different the dream teams throughout history. But that's only one piece of the puzzle. And I think as bass players, we do have a love for the melodic lines, especially melodic bass lines that have both a great pocket and a great melody. And that can continue on, especially on Upright, And I guess one of the things that I try to advocate the most is for people going to the bow work. Mm. It's the exact... It's exactly half the instrument. So to ignore it, because it's such a steep learning curve and you do sound like you're, I don't know, killing a a den of cats with a sack of frogs or something for four years, it's worth it. Because on the other side of that struggle is some beautiful ways to express yourself. Even if you never plug in a single effect like it is an effect in itself and can be used to really do some amazing things on the instrument so i really encourage anybody who plays up right now to find a way to struggle through and get bow work incorporated into your playing because it's it, it'll, if you love melody
0: it'll crack the instrument wide open now is that because there's a steep learning curve which i didn't even know so it's interesting to hear but is that also because the perception is that it's classical or that that doesn't make it jazz or thumpy is there just a, a natural reaction that makes us think maybe
1: I, I, I actually heard somebody with an interesting perspective on this for the first time which was a great bass player named Pablo Molta in, sure. in Argentina he actually was the person who opened up what bass could be when I was in high school because we went to high school in Los Angeles anyway I just recently saw him on a tour and I was asking why so few. Why? What is the divide that so few right. bass players play bow? But then I was including into that like why do I inherently suck at the electric bass? I, I don't
0: believe that, but we can. <laughs> you, like we, we I mean, can compared talk about
1: that. compared, you know, th- it's a different instrument. Different instrument. So he was saying that bass players that get to the bass through classical music tend to bring the bow with them to jazz.
0: Well, that's where I was coming from. Okay. But
1: bass players that get to the upright through an electric bass don't pick up the bow because their journey is from whatever whatever music genres they play electric bass in to jazz on upright and then back to the electric. Right. Whereas if you got to it through classical, you take that bow and you take that work with you to jazz and you go back and forth between classical and jazz and then some of us finish the loop and try to get into electric bass as well. So yeah, I think you're right. I think that there's maybe a stigma to it, but man, it's so dope to to pull out a bow and have long resonant notes to open up the entire range of the instrument, to be able to carry a melody over a band. To do, nobody has to be quiet anymore. If you right. pick up a bow, you get to soar, just pure decibel levels, boot go up through the roof, and you have access to an inst- range of the instrument that would normally decay very quickly I think it's probably the most underappreciated revelation you can have as an upright bass player is to get your bow work together
0: so you start playing stand up and at one point I'm assuming someone says try electric whether it's you or someone else you try it you like what's in the brain of saying it's not for me I'm sticking to this one
1: so Nirvana's out right? I'm 15 or something like that And I'm in a band where we're playing grunge music, and I'm playing electric bass. That's great. I immediately get drawn to all the heroes. So at that point in time, I have an electric bass. I'm playing the school's upright bass, which actually is made out of aluminum. What? Yeah, an aluminum upright bass is my first instrument. It must resonate differently with the bow. fantastic. I was going to
0: say, with the bow, that must yeah. sound really interesting.
1: Yeah. And you can be really hard on it, which is probably why I'm really hard on it. It's right. <laughs> now. Poor wood. So I'm still <laughs> playing electric, and Victor Wooten is my hero, and Jocko's a hero, and Marcus is a hero, and... He was here last night? Uh, the... Oh, he was here last night? Marcus oh, yeah. just played last yeah, we, night? Yeah, we missed it, because we got... I did not. Miss it. <laughs> it was fantastic. Of course it's fantastic. Come on, man. It's Marcus. Yeah. So I'm listening to all that and I'm learning my harmonics and I'm really, even Steve Swallow, like I'm approaching the electric from as high a dexterity level as possible, as completely as possible. Listening to a lot of Bella Fleck <laughs> and Victor. all the while still chasing the journey on upright. And at some point in time, where it becomes quote-unquote not for me is that in Los Angeles that group of musicians that I grew up with one piece of that puzzle is Stephen Thundercat Brunner yeah and there's this sort of natural division of bass labor right. that happens where he'll be the electric dude I'll be the upright guy and it's not entirely in that one moment but I guess what I'm trying to illustrate is that what I heard was someone trying to push into a new area of that instrument and what I was doing was celebrating all of the previously tread paths celebrating mm-hmm. Jamerson and celebrating the names I mentioned before but that's me just holding something up on a pedestal and, and admiring it and wanting to be like it but I could hear where upright bass had not gone yet I knew it pretty quickly in my youth like, I knew like we're not playing as hard as we used to. We're not digging, we're going lighter on upright, but if you could dig in and make it more aggressive and push it to the front and try to get on top of now that things are amplified to try to get on top of a bigger sound, there's no one over there. There's no one doing that and no one's helping this instrument that I was growing up with like move into the 21st century because there's so it's riddled with so many technical problems. Right. So I could see myself there, and I couldn't see myself as anything other than someone who's going to celebrate greatness on the electric base. And so I I think I I didn't put it. I did put it down. I just didn't pursue that as hard as I pursued trying to do something new on the upright bass, because I could see that somebody in my neighborhood was already
0: doing that. Yeah, it's so funny that you say that because I feel like I quit after hearing people like Getty Lee and Jack go too a little mm-hmm. bit or Billy Sheen would be another mm-hmm. great example where you're just like I could probably play and do things but I'm never going to do that and I like that and for me it was different too where I was publishing music magazines and mm-hmm. enjoyed the business a little right. bit more too so it was a different game for me But I could see that being very realistic when you're just realizing that perhaps I either have something unique over here or I will never be able to do it. But at the same time, it's bad because you will find your own voice no matter what it is.
1: Yeah, I just also... What I'm worth now as an electric bass player is that I, I, I love the tone. Yeah. And I'm interested in presenting different tonal possibilities on the electric bass. But... It's just not my voice. It's not where it is. And there's some great players that are doing amazing things with it. And I'm just in the camp of the great players that are doing amazing things with the upright bass. Yeah. I think that's okay to realize that you have a purpose and you have an instrument that is closer to your sense of inherent expression. And it's closer to the sort of the center of your being. I was made for it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm here for that instrument.
0: Now, at a certain point in your career, I'm guessing you got tired of not being able to wander to music stores with all your friends. Use you said, I'm gonna start using pedals. Because you're not gonna go collecting electric basses now. Right, <laughs> that's true. That's basically the gateway, you right. be honest now. Tell me a bit about what happens. When do you start realizing, I'm at a point now, where whether I'm playing with my fingers or using the bow, that I feel there's something here with the effects, and then again, the mess of figuring that out, even for oh, electric man. players, is a nightmare. I mean, it was something I could never really do. Yeah. And now it's at a point where... I know so much about it now. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: it's really, really been so a journey. So much you
0: want, so much you have,
1: right? It's, I mean, I... Well, to briefly explain the journey, it is sparked from... And every bass player will know this story. I'm getting ready to play a 90-minute set here at the Montreal Jazz Festival. We'll, we'll have my
0: hundreds of thousands of people, by yeah. the way. It's, well, this is
1: it's one of the greatest awesome. festivals on Earth. Easy. Triple but A. this gig top.
0: in particular, Saturday night, oh, a yeah. free outdoor show. Oh, yeah. Bonkers. I, I'm going to text you after because I want to hear what that's like. Fantastic. Yeah.
1: But I'm getting ready to play for 90 minutes. With? With my buddy, Kamasi Washington. Kamasi. So, the rhythm section will be playing a 90-minute show. The frontline which consists of a singer and some horn players will not be playing a 90 minute show. Right. they'll be playing 20 minutes 24 25 minutes you're doing the
0: marathon minutes. they're doing some sprints
1: right and that's okay No, that I'm good. not ta- as a whole it's a fantastic show and this is not I'm not trying to come from a place of of hatred but I have to say that piece of the puzzle to express where the effects came from because the entirety of the time that the trumpet player or the saxophone player or the trombone player or the singer The entirety of the time that they're trying to express themselves as rhythm section players, we are there to help. We are in service of the moment. We're in the service of the music. And every decision we make is to try to lift the music up to the highest possible level. However, and that applies to piano players, guitar players, all kinds of instruments, and famously, not to the bass. Right. Why? Well just to set aside electric bass for a second and specifically talk about upright bass, it did come from a place of respect. If we all play and try to comp behind this bass player, he or she will not be heard because mm. the instrument is just simply not loud enough. Yeah, That's Pur- where it starts.
0: Purdy just did a great interview about mm-hmm. playing drums, and it, it's like he kept, it sounded like a broken record, but it was exactly that statement, that I'm just here to make everyone else sound in their moment. Right. It's a really interesting... and And... There's a lot of
1: joy that comes from helping people reach the what you can see is their goal for expression. But I have those goals, too. Of course, and I have those yeah. aspirations. And I hear my solo going to heights as well that I need help. I need the piano player to comp. I need the drummer to keep hitting and to... to go through the different gears and levels of expression but I'm crippled by my own ability to be loud enough to soar and ride the wave of intensity that comes from people assisting you. So the only thing I could think of was, well, if I had some effects that could roll off some of the low end, then the high end might be able to pop up and I could turn the volume up on it. So one of the first effects I got actually was just an EQ pedal to go while I'm soloing yeah, it's a
0: classic. Half. I could see the Ibanez EQ pedal so, uh, as you said. The, the boss. Sorry, the boss. Yeah. You're right, the
1: boss. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to solo. I'm going to start simple with the pits, the fingers. I'm going to go to the bow. That's going to have a little bit more muscle to it. And I'm going to need to get louder, but not feedback, which is always the eternal struggle. So I'd step on the pedal, which would roll off some of the low end, give it a couple dB boost, and find, get rid of a trouble frequency, and I'd be able to have at least one more gear. That was about the best I could do in the beginning, but... I found this amazing bass maker named Jason Burns who has a company called Blast Colt. I met him and it changed everything because he was making basses for Rockabilly Cats who that oh. play really loud but not aren't necessarily soloists but they have to push a lot of volume. Um, They're
0: filling out a lot more space. And, and a lot
1: louder bands. Yeah, yeah. So once I got my hand on a Bosco 145, I was able to play really, really
0: loud. Now, is that a pedal, or is it an actual like, volume more? One f- the 145 is a type
1: of upright bass. Oh, I'm it's sorry, it's a okay. five-ply five upright bass that doesn't resonate so much, so you lose some of the standalone acoustic value, but you, it sounds most like an upright bass when plugged in than my 250-year-old German upright bass. Right. So... Then I was able to start look at, looking at effects as ways to color the tone, while I was up this in this new third gear of in, of intensity. So obviously, the first thing you want to do is get your hands on a distortion pedal, yeah. which I was is
0: say it's like phaser distortion is where right. you are going with our chorus, and
1: is that's that's usually trouble right out the gate. But a learning that you don't go f- full fuzz. Like bonkers with Upright. You never you go full fuzz. Never go full fuzz. Never go full fuzz. <laughs> go terrible full fuzz. reference but
0: no, that. <laughs> I've got that. We're okay. um, <laughs> similar in age. I yeah, thought you might. Exactly.
1: So to, to just find something that broke up just enough to give it some character would make it cut through the band in different ways. The journey went on for a, a decade because people don't do R&D on pedals with Upright bass it's mm. just not what's happening when they're building right. it. That's rarely what's happening. It's probably never, never what's happening, happening when they're yeah. conceiving it. But even just running it through its paces, it's not like, oh well, hey, let's run it by the upright base contingent, and that's purely for economic reasons. Yeah, I I don't even know if they're, they're those doing those it for base.
0: So, I think they're probably EQing it and thinking, well, this will be okay. Well, MXR, but,
1: for example, yeah, is, yeah, is, is would, a company yeah. th- that and that tech, has tech, their
0: like wing of of base pedals. Yeah.
1: Daryl Anders is a great guy over there. Yeah. And there are companies that have put their mind to what to do with bass as far as it goes to effects. But I actually found that to be sometimes limiting because rightly so, they're so in they're so concerned with keeping the low end intact while sure. the effect comes in that that's actually not necessarily what I'm looking for when I'm in solo mode. I don't need to keep so much of the low end intact because I'm already soaring. I'm actually trying to get more up into the trombone, tenor, saxophone range of expression for that bit of the solo as I'm trying to ramp higher and higher and higher up. To bring this all back to the beginning of the question, effects started as a way to allow me to re re re-ingratiate the rest of the band into participating in my solo so that I could be as effective of a soloist and as complete of an expressionist as they get to be. And I think we've earned it as bass players because we play 90 minutes and they play,
0: you know, less. But look, fundamentally, you're still a multi-instrumentalist regardless. Where I'm getting at is, and I wish I remember who, but I've had maybe two other conversations with people who use a lot of effects. My coming out of that conversation, which I feel here right now, is the effects in your case also take on, it's its own instrument. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, the work that you're doing in developing what you're going to do, whether it's solo or with another artist or live, it literally is another instrument for you. Yeah. Because you have so many opportunities now. Absolutely. For me,
1: I am never leaving any effect on for more than 8 to 16 bars. Like Things are changing all the time. So to me, I think of my effects like an organ player thinks of their stops. Mm. So I'm, I'm... changing the width and the the intensity of the bass tone so it's always undulating and that is not just in solos so like the octave pedal the boost pedal those are things that you use to intensify how I'm even if I'm just fully in the pocket like to inspire and like whip the band forward or drag them back or with the audience to to get them used to a certain level of low end and then introduce a brand new level of low end is one of the most exciting things you can do because human beings hear music from the ground up sonically to introduce a frequency that has not been there is a very exciting thing to have happen. That's what. That's why when a bomb goes off it's so startling because right. it's just it's this massive low under, energy yeah. that yeah. You're, is significantly lower than the noise floor you've decided to become accustomed to. And it happens very quickly, and people adjust very quickly. So the effects, I'm going wah, phase, all of the things, they're changing all the time, and never really more than, like, 16, mm. 16 bars. So I don't, like, go, oh, this song has a octave down and a phase on it, and that's just what the song has. I never do that. It's always changing, so it is very much a undulating expression and it's its its own instrument but it becomes the upright the affected upright bass the prepared upright bass you know the tempered upright bass or something
0: those it becomes its own series of sounds so i want to talk a little bit about genres in general because Mm. i'm thinking about me being where i was and who influenced me and then Just going to school. Mm -hmm. And as much as I wanted to be this rocker metal kid punk, Mm -hmm. when I started playing bass, I start discovering, well, we could argue that Jacko was very punk. But I start Mm -hmm. discovering all of them, the Mm -hmm. victors, the uh, everyone. And at the same time, I'm still going to school where we're listening to Michael Jackson and Culture Club in the 80s -hmm. and into the 90s and then into the Nirvanas and U2s. And I found the social pressure of music to be a real thing. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine when you're into jazz that it's the cool thing at that time. Can mm-hmm. can you talk about the balance of what was inspiring to you? Because you're growing up in this music, you clearly start liking jazz as you're playing it, but at the same time, friends are friends and they're gonna influence what's going on in your world. Are yeah, they jazz true. people? Are they into it? Are they like what kind of weirdness is Miles into? Like what is going on here?
1: was definitely fortunate enough to be around a lot of serious kids who were trying to get to the highest level of understanding jazz as an art form. That's okay, a so unique were, yeah. situation that I found myself being in the city of Los Angeles at that time. So that was its own It's like a universe. It's not even yeah, like exactly. it's not reality. We got stuck with a couple of like unicorns and that, that was amazing. <laughs> but also those same kids and uh, were interested in other kinds of music, even though all of our most of our teachers were came from an era in which being purists was king. We were one of the generations that got to break out of that and decide that you didn't have to be purist to your art form. You can respect it in everything in the history of it. And you can respect another genre. But when you zoom out, they're all the same thing. Mm. And I think that's what kind
0: of started to unfold over time. It's a very sophisticated approach for someone who's young, though, to think like that.
1: Yeah. Something about them. There was permission to be who ever you wanted to be. Because you were exposed to weight more different styles of music and you had more access to playing them because you could have your own gig, especially in LA, is was really open. It wasn't New York. There was, right. LA wasn't a proving grounds. No one cared what was happening in LA. It was a studio scene. And so, if you wanted to be a studio player, which was one of the, one of the points of aspiration, it was actually encouraged that you knew how to play all the different styles. And honestly, because you never know what gig you're going to show up to and that's going to be the, It'll be some Cuban record one day, a pop record the next day. I graduated from high school and instead of going to graduation I played on like a Christina Aguilera track. (laughs) But then I'm also making my audition tape for NYU or something like that. It's like I've had my own jazz gig since I was 13. or 14 or something like that. So the openness to different styles of music, that was encouraged because of the session player angle. But also because L.A. is a marketing machine. That's what it's he- here for. It's one of the things it has always done best. Art is, and a, is one set of skills, but then marketing that art and making money right. off of it is the demon of Los Angeles. I think it's a horrible thing that we all have to go through it, but right. needless to say, a lot of people have figured out how to make a lot of money off of art, and they do that particularly well in... In Los Angeles, I say that to say that what you realized was that people throughout history have chopped up black music into genres because it just made it easier to sell. So, not because James Brown's band is less is playing less jazz than Miles Davis's man. That's just not true. Right. There's improvising going across all of those genres rhythm there's the even the makeup of the band is the same thing but it's getting chopped up for other reasons and most of those reasons are marketing so you could see that very clearly you could see the machine at work in los angeles right. and so that was a something that younger you go oh okay the this, this genre thing i can i have been behind the curtain i've signed to a record label by the time i was 17 and you could see like okay you guys figure out how to market this stuff and it has actually very little to do with the music yep so that's a very liberating feeling even though it comes from a super gross place. It's liberating to see like <laughs> there are people whose jobs it is to make money off of art. It is not the job of the artist to then dice up the way that they approach art so that it's more so that it's easier to put into the machine. It's not your job to do that. You can if you like that. Yeah. There's some artists that like to be in the promotion side of things and that's okay too. But the music doesn't care about any of that is what I'm saying that the music is, is actually a lot closer and is, works more like a family where you have grandmothers and parents and siblings and these birthings of new styles that are all still under one family unit. That doesn't mean to see that music is genre I do think that there are chunks of music that don't touch so closely, but you can follow how it got to what it got, mm. and you can see how it's a lot closer to other styles of music. And LA gave you that because you could see it functioning.
0: So, what are you thinking when you realizing this is my profession? Are you thinking studio? Are you thinking solo artist? Are you thinking I want to join a band? Are you thinking I want to be a touring musician? Or were you just like, I'm gonna let the chips fall where they may? What were you thinking professionally? No,
1: by the time I was seventeen or eighteen, I had had access to the greatest, some of the greatest bass players living at yeah. that time. Got to study with Ray Brown and Al McKibben. It's and, crazy. It's and a crazy stuff to study with Abraham Laborel and, and Wow, like monsters and I knew John Clayton spent tons of time studying with John Clayton He was really the anchor of my 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 education on the instrument, but also classical players David Young anyway I had great teachers and I knew that those were my heroes, and so I, I felt, and I knew that they were spending very valuable time with me. Right. But they didn't have to. They could half ask this if they wanted to,
0: and I'd still be grateful for them just saying hello. But, but you could have half asked it, too. That's the thing. True. Right. Like, they, this is the thing, we, we, when we talk to our kids about tutors, we're like, they're doing you the favor, yeah. right? It's kind of like that. Like, you want to take advantage of the yeah. fact that this person's here to help. Exactly.
1: Education was always number one. I come from a, Family of educators all on both my mom and my dad's side. So, education and the idea of a teacher is something that's held in very high regard. So, I knew that I wanted to respect the information I was getting from them and achieve that and to be as good as they are, which they were all the greatest of their time and were the greatest sort of living at the moment. So, that meant that if I wanted to be <laughs> as good as them, my life aspiration was to be the greatest upright bass player that ever existed. And that's so far out of reach that it's an it's an infinite aspiration. And I thought that's a really easy goal to set for yourself because it's it's forever.
0: Well it's easy in the <laughs> sense of you're also not locking yourself into a choice. I'm gonna yeah. be a session musician, I'm going to yeah. start a band. You are saying what I was saying, which is I'm open to what happens yeah. As I just agree that I'm going to be a professional bass player. Well, my
1: parents told me very young that they did not care what I did for a living as long as I did two things. That I only did something that brought me joy and that I strove to be the absolute best at it. And so that's the, those are the only two laws that I bring into the music that I make. I don't want to make music that I don't enjoy making. That's a big piece of the puzzle, and it's a difficult one to accomplish because sometimes you just have to pay rent. And I certainly have done enough of that, but I've always been very aware of it. Like So I won't just take the big money gig if it doesn't bring me some consistent joy because I know that that runs thin, and it will effect, eventually affect my passion for the instrument and for the music. So I've always been aware of those decisions. And then the second sort of bylaw from my parents which was to to always attack greatness and go after just being the absolute best that you can be and beyond that just the best you could possibly imagine being go for that all the time so I don't have a lot of tenets that I follow but the ones that I have are, are really simple and they keep me pushing and they keep me striving and they keep me seeking out newness and I don't get complacent or satisfied entirely with any new station that I get to because there's always another one I want to want to arrive at and something else to work on.
0: I feel like I would be doing a disservice to this conversation if we didn't talk a little bit about the rock aspect of your world, which is if I look at the work you've done, whether it's Avenged Sevenfold or Jonathan Davis from Korn or Jeff Beck or, 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 how does that happen? Is this just producers or musicians saying, we want that something different? Is this something you're chasing? Because these are very these are unicorns in and of themselves.
1: Yeah, I love rock and roll music and I grew up in rock. I grew up with grunge. I grew up with, with Dinosaur Jr. and <laughs> Punk and that's my that's like deep inside of my playing, like layer one really. It is equal to me right. in my it's equal in my core as classical music, jazz and this sort of gritty rock thing. So I think it just comes out in it. It comes out in where I sit in the beat. I lean forward as a jazz bass player, I think because, I mean, Ray Brown pushed hard, but also the rock in me, it leans forward in the music. I sit ahead of the drummer, I would say, if I was going to be objective about it. And I think that my respect for that music, I don't set it in some, like, Downshift of yeah, or the lit-
0: people who could think it's beneath them to do that. Right. Type of, yeah, it I makes know, me crazy. Once no, 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 no. No that
1: no. gets up yeah. and running, you know. Yeah, and don't forget about obviously, you don't move past Little Richard and Jimmy and really the people that the fact that the rock and roll comes from the blues. Look, I would argue
0: right. that there is no prog rock without jazz. Right, exactly. It's a direct
1: correlation. This goes back to our same thing where yeah. as soon as you can zoom out and become genre yeah. you see how what you're really talking about is the sound and the attitude.
0: What and was happening at the Blue Note is exactly what happened in every single punk bar, whether it was right. Washington or CBGVs Montreal. It was the yeah. same thing. Mm-hmm. It was people going crazy on instruments and trying really different stuff.
1: Exactly, and trying to be subversive not caring if an audience understood it or not, no. but th- that this was it was aggressive and disruptive and it was a way to express
0: angst. And push the instrument in a different way.
1: Exactly. And so that is across all of it. So I yeah. think that to narrow down the answer, I think that being able to work with Chris Cornell and JD, the, those cats, when they heard, heard me play, especially by that time I was often running in the effects world, they could tell, okay, this dude is here to make a rumble and to be an aggressive force to be to sit in like to sit my song on top of he's not just there to go along he's here to push it and get as angry as they can get or to get as hyped up and turned up as they are
0: is it a song or is it an album how does it work is it like a specific song they're bringing you in for or is it an album how
1: each one's different so with with chris cornell i got to make a whole record right with jd i made a record and did i made a couple records yeah and did a tour and wrote did some songwriting for him as well with beck that's live concert situation. So it's different every time. You know, it's that's one of the cool things about just existing in a big city. So that people roll through and can hear about you and use you for different purposes at different times as long as you're open to it and ready to be on the scene. You you fall into all kinds of weird corners of the, yeah. of, the, of the of the music.
0: I could talk to you forever. I wanna be respectful of the fact that you gotta warm your hands up for an absurd amount of people that are gonna be out there. <laughs> That's gonna really be so much fun, man. Can you just tell me a little bit about near future future? What are you thinking yeah. in terms of new solo album? What's sure. happening?
1: Everybody's climbing out of this pandemic in different ways, so I'm just happy Five to million be in songs to...
0: recorded. Is <laughs> yeah. that <what> right?
1: <laughs> I was fortunate because I had I had in the November before the pandemic started i had already sort of landed into the studio and was recording a couple of different projects so that means now on this side of things i've got one record fully ready to roll and we're finding a good home for it and we'll probably release it sometime next year sure. and that i worked with my buddy tony austin who'll be playing drums tonight stage left He's a fan, phenomenal producer, He's also had a big influence on what I've done on the effects with the upright bass, and that's, that album has the full West Coast Get Down on it, so that'll come out. I have another two records on deck that just need finishing touches, and so that part's great, and we're always looking forward to touring as heavily as possible, there's performing live. The point of it all, for the type of music that we make changing it every single night and coming up with some finding the moment and sitting with the people and really crafting each experience to the energy you get from the crowd night after night. As we're jazz magicians, that's that's it. it. The, the first thing we do after playing this ninety minute set is go find a jam session and play for another two or three hours. So we don't ever stop playing. We definitely grew up with that that like doctrine of yeah. like keeping on pushing.
0: There's three more sets after this uh, one.
1: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Cause we just love to play. But so aside from those records coming out, I do a lot of film scores yeah. and video that's games. a lot of fun yeah. video games. So that those, there are several of those projects on deck that I'll, when I get home, I always dive in and keep pushing those things and writing a lot of songs for other people and sing the singer songwriter aspect of, what I do is always something that I'm nurturing as well. I love to write a good song, so I like to write with other people and work on their records as well. So right now, the, I don't have a specific item to, to market out to the world, but that's coming, and I'm just happy to see musicians back out in these streets pushing their own projects and and that we get to return to live music. Because I do know that I was able to see in real time, which I thought a lot of us were able to see how the human spirit and soul just kind of withers without the water that is music. And man, we need this and we need each other. And I think that a lot of the strife and struggle, a lot of that comes when you start to remove something as important as live connection through music, art, And cinema. we're not
0: intermingling as different human beings. Exactly. Yeah.
1: You take that away, and we start coming up with some pretty dumb ideas for which yeah. direction society should be going in, and hopefully us getting back out there and putting our fists in the air, we can get things moved in the right direction again.
0: So what is this like? Is this one of a few shows? Is this a tour? Are you live a lot now also? Or? Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. This tour I'm on right now is with Kamasi Washington, and he's uh, also in between major... Uh, album releases and we've all gone into the studio and recorded some interesting side projects like we were on the metallica black album anniversary where everybody got assigned a song great great yeah so there's been a couple of those the michelle obama film score we all did that and so playing some of that music it's kind of like a a holding place but really it's about reconnecting with different cities and different markets that you don't always get to go to right away when you put out a, a big release. So we were able to do some fantastic shows through Brazil and Argentina and Chile, and that was the top of the year. And now we're able to do a little run through Canada and some stuff in the U.S. as well, but places that like you don't necessarily always get to go to year one when a record comes out. Touring through Mexico and all the South Americas is something that's near and dear to my heart. I think Brazilian music is probably, I think my favorite melodically mm. and rhythmically I think that's some of the greatest music on earth it's ever been produced by humans and the way that they gathered together to make that stuff so it was really a joy to, to go through that market as well
0: great i don't think i have to repeat this but i will that Corey and kevin and the no treble team we have a lot of love for you oh thanks man early no days we yeah. had you in and it's great to meet in our protein forums <laughs> it's yeah. great to be <laughs> post a little bit maybe post COVID, and i'm totally. looking forward to tonight just thank you so much for your time oh
1: man i appreciate you having me and, and no treble is is i see it I see it clear as day how as a resource to young musicians and seasoned vets, it's a great community of knowledge sharing, and it's so honest and open. And as bass players, I think we all get along sort of inherently. Correct. There's something that binds us together. Drummers and guitar players, they like to fight yeah. and scrap for, for greatness and, and king of the hills. No, stuff. we but have a
0: great community.
1: Bass players really, really like... Bind and help together and know each other and so i'm i'm honored to be on not only your podcast but to be helping hopefully some of this stuff may have helped the community at all on, on no trouble to to experiment and you can always hit me up on any of the socials at miles Mills if you are struggling with a bow you
0: reach out to miles yeah
1: absolutely <laughs> i'm here to help that's but, awesome but, thanks so much for your time Miles. you got it man thank you for having me